0: Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, we'll be meeting some of the fabulous creatives in the upcoming Gifted Contemporary Craft Fair at the RDS next week. We'll be hearing why some beautiful towns around the world are paying you to move there. And we'll be talking with local communities who have initiated repair cafes. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent email us at at newstalk.com, or you'll find me over on Instagram and what's left of Twitter at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts which are up on the News Talk website or on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. Now, you're very welcome along to the show this morning. I was just thinking the weather has got so chilly and cold. It kind of gets you thinking about uh, sunnier climes and nicer temperatures and blue skies and all of that kind of thing. And I don't know if you're like me. Whenever you do hop on a plane and you're lucky enough to get away for a couple of weeks and you find yourself in a little French village or a little Spanish town and you're thinking look there's a little estate agent over there let's just have a quick look and see what the prices are like and of course invariably because it's chaotic and ridiculous in Ireland and in the cities particularly you come across a gorgeous little cabin or a cottage or an apartment for 40,000 and you think oh we could afford that let's just buy it. Anyway if that has ever been your dream but you can't quite get over the line or come up with the money well we'll have Joan Scales later on in the show I'm dying to hear which is going to tell us about a town in Italy and in fact it's not the only one which are paying people to move there and setting them up and all that kind of thing so do stay tuned for that and welcome to the home show. Now, from textiles to artisan food produce, exhibitors are clamouring to return to the craft fair in the main hall of the RTS Arena in Dublin next week. The gifted Contemporary Craft and Design Fair begins on Wednesday and runs right through until next Sunday, the 4th of December. Well, joining me now are two of this year's exhibitors. Amy Kerr runs AK Textiles, while Amy Call is the brains behind Oxmantown Skincare. Um, now, we're delighted to have you, ladies, in studio. Uh, it must be great to be back in person in the craft fair and be able to do all that kind of stuff again.
1: Yeah, it'll be a great time to um, join the other 400 makers, designers and producers that will be in the RDS next Wednesday until Sunday. Um, and it's just a great chance for us as makers um, to meet our customers both old and new. Yeah. So I haven't done it since 2019. I um, last year I was heavily pregnant so um, <laughs> it will be a great chance to meet other makers and
0: it will also be a great chance for Irish people to get out and buy local and support Irish okay now tell me a little bit about your business amy you're in the skincare business that's oxman town skin i'm thinking there must be a stony batter or dublin yeah. eight <laughs> thing there right okay yes yeah, so
1: it's all um natural and handmade in small batches in stony batter in my workshop um so we are yeah i create a range of natural cruelty-free skincare in small batches using organic and botanical ingredients. So I've created this range of natural skincare to help restore the skin to its optimum health by improving the skin barrier and promoting skin regeneration. Okay, right, gosh,
0: that sounds like a lot of science. (laughs) Yeah, lotions and potions and mixing and all all that. Yeah, (laughs) okay. And Amy Kerr, tell me a little bit about uh, the textile business and what it is that you do.
2: Yeah, so I graduated from the National College of Art and Design in 2021, so I'm very much at the early stages of my career and setting up my business so um AK Textiles is kind of launching and debuting the first pieces for sale from from my range and it's two collections one uh, inspired by bees and how they see the world in uv light and then the second collection is called Dahana on Ears so colors of the west looking at um Irish bog cotton and sheep um, and I'm a weaver so I uh, sit on an old-fashioned kind of loom, but my loom's a bit more high-tech because <laughs> I'm interested in the collaboration between craft and technology. Okay, and actually I was taking a look at some of this stuff and I was fascinated by
0: the whole bee thing because they have they've really extraordinary vision, don't they? I mean, they have to they, because they, they do. can't do they their job without uh, it. Exactly. So, so they can see a kind of, is it, is it like a, a, a hexagon or... Like nearly fully round eyesight in these little pixels. Tell me about how you use that in designing fabrics. Yes, yeah, so
2: I, when creating my collection, I looked at not only the UV vision. So they actually have five different eyes. So they have two large compound eyes, which have roughly between like six and eight thousand lenses per eye. And those lenses, when I actually looked at the anatomy of the eye, were these kind of almost hexagonal little shapes, which kind of explains the honeycomb structures and how the other things that they actually create and make mm-hmm. as a, as a colony. And uh, the other three eyes are on the top of their head, and then they each have a different function. So one's to see UV light, which is a different um, spectrum of color to what we see. And then they also have um, an eye that can see polarised light. So it almost works as a little GPS in their head. So they can navigate and communicate with each other where the pollen is and how they um, obviously navigate around, whether yeah. there's danger or and, there's and good. And tell their, tell and their, tell, uh, tell, so their so hive would, um, companions exactly, where it all is so and they, where the best flowers are. They, use, they communicate through what's called a woggle dance, which is they shake their little bums around <laughs> side to side and work in a figure of eight and depending on the direction and how kind of fast they're going, that communicates the direction and where they can source the pollen or danger and whatnot.
0: So how do you get from there to <coughs> linens and sheets and towels and fabrics?
2: <laughs> so it the CV, the alternative, is is a very experimental collection. Um, so I looked, there's actually a, a structure within woven textiles called the honeycomb weave. So I did a lot of work with that. And then I also did work with 3D printing onto textiles. So creating fabric with the function to be 3D printed on. So it's kind of like other embellishments on top. And again, looking at the, uh, the actual structure that mm. they create and then the anatomy of the structure of their eye, I've kind of, I could see the repeat patterns and the repetitive structures throughout everything and how they actually all kind of interlinked. And that's how I was able to relate them back to yeah. my work in creating those kind of really three-dimensional forms and shapes and patterns.
0: Well, they look absolutely beautiful, I must say, um, and very luxurious,
2: uh, but also very
0: Irish, actually. There's something nice and and Irish about them, uh, which is lovely. And I think that's probably to do with the fabrics that you have chosen for this. Um, Amy Cahill, tell me a little bit about how a skincare company like yours, which is fledgling and you're, you're obviously have been very successful so far. But how do you compete against... The big, massive behemoths out there, because the whole area of skincare and and creams is just absolutely massive, and people can sometimes feel a little bit lost to know what's right for them and where to source uh, the products that they they need. You
1: well, know, I think these days people are really knowledgeable about reading their labels, and they are like really well informed. So by reading or looking at our ethos and what goes into the products, they really know how good quality it is, um, and they. People nowadays really want to buy Irish and support local. So coming from that element, um,
0: it, it would be our USB. Are they are they interested more now? Do you think in where the source of the ingredients is from and things like animal testing and yes. all that kind of and and fragrances and uh, that kind of thing? Yeah,
1: most definitely, especially with um, you know climate change. People are far more aware of what they're buying and they're looking more towards multifunctional products as opposed to, you know, a wide range of products. Um, Like we definitely take a less is more approach. We're cruelty free. We work really closely with our suppliers to ensure that Firstly, we're getting the best ingredients that nature has to offer, but also that we do it in a sustainable and ethical manner. Right.
0: And what do you find the most popular products are? What are people going for? Is it face creams or? Yeah. So we have a few different
1: hero products. It's definitely our Rosip and Neroli regenerating facial oil. Um, And then we have a new enough product which we launched last year, which is our organic um, Chimella and vegan collagen facial serum. Um, so it's basically nature's alternative to hyaluronic acid and it helps to hydrate the skin but it works on it like the particles are smaller so it helps to
0: mm. penetrate the skin deeper. Okay, I'm thinking there might be a collaboration in the future between the old royal jelly from is the breed. <laughs> <Yeah>. Definitely. <laughs> Opportunities <laughs> you're,
2: you're, are endless. <laughs> you're
0: closer than you think in terms of what it is that yeah. you do. Uh, what is the market like in Ireland at the moment for small uh, craft entrepreneurial businesses um, like yours, Amy? Textiles.
2: Um, So there isn't as much kind of independent weavers, I feel, in in Ireland at the moment. Um, You have a lot of kind of more traditional craft makers like Donegal Tweed and using kind of looking at a lot more of the traditional structures. But I suppose in my particular area of interest, I want it to be like very contemporary and futuristic. So it's looking at that collaboration with technology. And more sustainable approaches and ethical approaches to creating textiles. Yeah. Do you find that there is a mood and a market for
0: um, the type of items maybe that people can keep as heirlooms or or pass on
2: as gifts and, and things, especially around this time of year? Yeah, I definitely think there is a market for it. And I think um, hand woven pieces of art are, is, is a very niche kind of gift and there, there's not a lot of it out there. Um, particularly the framed pieces that I've done Mm. I haven't seen too many um, other designers kind of presenting the work that way there's a lot of wall hangings and and other kind of approaches but I do think weaving is coming back Mm. really strong and uh, people are just finding this new appreciation for, for the traditional craft. Yeah, there was a whole thing during lockdown and we'd
0: people in during the shows on during lockdown and people were getting involved in embroidery and in knitting and in crocheting and tapestry and all that kind of thing. So so people like that stuff and it's very restful. Do you find it restful it's when such
2: you're your- a It's such it? a, tra- no, I do get quite stressed but uh, <laughs> it's it's such a tranquil experience and it's very therapeutic to actually do like I find when I do get stressed I'll either jump on the loom or start crocheting and step away from the laptop and admin work that I need to do um but it's kind of it's really nice to keep your hands busy and I don't drive so I'm always getting the bus so it's nice to sit on the bus and then I'll crochet for the duration oh, okay. I'm on it and okay, very I'm always good. that crazy crochet lady right well, when you see
0: her you will know exactly who that <laughs> is then okay and then finally Amy Cahill um Setting up as an entrepreneur, like a sole trader, it's it's a tough gig. It's a tough decision to make. How, how did you get there? What made that decision for you? Were you were you minded to kind of go a different route?
1: Um, well, both my parents were entrepreneurs and always worked for themselves.
0: So I almost like stemmed from them. But
1: I did lots of traveling um, and then I just came back and decided that I wanted to set up my own
0: business. All right, so we're looking forward to the fair next week now. Uh, The Gifted Fair, so uh, people who go there every year will know about it, but it runs um, in the RTS in Dublin here. It begins on Wednesday and runs right through till Sunday week, uh, the 4th of December. You're looking forward to it?
2: Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, Very excited. This. this is my first <laughs> time. Is this first your time, first one? Yeah, oh, okay. doing anything like this really. <laughs> so like literally debuting and launching everything. So my nerves are gone. Fantastic. <laughs> well, excited. look, if
0: you're visiting the craft fair, please go and look for uh, Amy Cahill, who is behind Oxmantown Skincare and Amy Kerr, who runs AK textiles and all those uh, little honeybees all right well listen ladies the best of luck with it and congratulations to you both Uh, and thanks for joining us on the home show today thanks a million thank you so much and still to come on The Home Show after the break well have you ever heard of a repair cafe well stay tuned we're going to tell you all about that we'll be back in a few moments and you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk with me Sinead Ryan if you'd like to get in touch with us today it's 53106 on text or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and before the break we were speaking to a couple of designers who are taking part in the gifted contemporary craft and design fair which is on the RDS so do listen back to that there's loads and loads of stalls and uh, creative people at that. Uh, We just had two in but I would urge you to go along and have a look at that. Now you may not have heard of repair cafes. It's a new one on me for sure but they are held all over the world and aim to help you avoid throwing away broken Possessions by repairing them. Well, one is taking place here in Dublin this weekend. And joining me to tell us more about it is Claire Downey, one of the organizers. Claire, you're very welcome to the Home Show Studio. Thank you very much. Now, um, okay, let's start by telling listeners and indeed me what a repair cafe is.
3: Great. So a repair cafe is a free community event where anyone can bring in something they have that's broken and they can get it fixed or learn how to get it fixed. By sitting alongside repair specialists. And it's not just about getting things fixed, but it's also a great community and social event. And that's why the word cafe is in there as well. Um, I think they were started out in the Netherlands um, in 2009. And the aim was to try and restart that culture of repair um, that we've all lost a little bit.
4: Right
0: well anyone now like me who who loves uh, the repair shop and the BBC program we had Steve Fletcher the clockmaker watchmaker on last year and people absolutely loved him and I think what people like about it apart from you know the reusable element and repairing old things is just that it's like that community spirit isn't it that that sense of vibe do you find that the the cafe events uh, bring that
3: to the fore Absolutely. You're not only bringing people who have repair skills and a lot of repair cafes, you know, you can go out into the community looking for volunteers and there are always so many people with amazing skills out there from sewing skills to maybe retired electricians who are only too happy to jump in or tradespeople, and they want to share their skills and this provides a great opportunity for them to do that. Um, And to meet with local people and to learn from each other. So it's a way to kind of break down any barriers of age barriers and people from all different backgrounds join in.
0: Now, what will people learn? Will they learn how to repair it themselves or will they watch it being repaired by an expert?
3: Yeah, the whole. Well, I- they're having
0: a coffee, which is, by the way, what I would do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Absolutely, the whole idea is that people sit down with their repair specialist, and they can see how you open up something. So I think a lot of our everyday household goods have become more and more complex, and. Sometimes we're kind of looking at these really common items around us and have no idea where to start or how to open something up and diagnose what's wrong with it. So that's what the repair specialist can do. They can show you kind of where to start, how to open something up and diagnose what's wrong with it. And that means you can bring those skills back home as well afterwards. So it's really trying to encourage people to think about repair first. Because... I'm, I don't know about you, but I have a huge drawer of things waiting for the repair cafe on Saturday <laughs> that I kind of <laughs> store up. And maybe you keep things because of sentimental value or because um, you just don't want to see it go to waste. But a lot of things we throw away are perfectly repairable as well. There's mm. just small repairs that kind of get in the way. And that's because maybe we don't have the skills or we don't make the time or we don't have the tools or we think it's going to cost know a lot of go. money. You
0: know, we don't know where to go, you know, because a lot of those repair shops, I remember from my childhood, mm-hmm. there used to be repair shops, um, everything from... Even finding a cobbler these days can be difficult, but to vacuum cleaners, to electric mixers, to all, and people had that frame of mind of repair. Uh, What kind of items are you expecting, Claire to be brought to the workshop?
3: Yeah, actually, there's a a repair monitor, it's called. There are 2,500 repair cafes around the world and the Repair Cafe International has been collecting data on what types of repairs come in. What is the most common household items that need repairing? I don't know if you can guess. What comes in the most often?
0: Well, I, I I'm I'm imagining people are more maybe sentimentally attached to certain my I- certain items than other. Maybe not so much their you know blender for food, but perhaps a vase or or something like that. W- would that be the case? Or are people more practical in saying, "Oh no, fix my dishwasher"? Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> a dishwasher is a bit big to bring in, but <laughs> actually the 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 item that's been at the top of the list for quite some time is coffee machines. Um,
0: really? Yeah. Coffee ma- well, I, think-
3: I, I, can, I absolutely would be distraught if mine broke, I have (laughs) to tell you. Maybe that's the sentimental attachment. I'm fairly
0: certain that nobody in Newstalk Towers would be functioning (laughs) at all, possibly except for Pat Kenny,
3: if our coffee machine here was bust. So, wow, Okay, so I can see that. And are they easily repairable? Because they're expensive pieces of kit. They are expensive. And I think they come in so often because they're expensive and also um, they break down a lot and they can be tricky enough to repair. Moving parts. Yeah, indeed, moving parts, water, functions as well. Right, so it's
0: not granny's gold plate. (laughs) It's the the Nespresso. Okay. now tell us a little bit about where you get your repair specialists from. I I mean, are they local volunteers or are they experts in the field that you've shipped in or or where where do they uh, derive?
3: Yeah, so for our event on Saturday at the Rediscovery Centre, we have a repair workshop specialists who will be carrying out all of the repairs. And that's because at the Rediscovery Centre, we do repair all the time. Mm. We teach repair skills and we do repair on a day-to-day basis. We do. Basis.
0: And in fact, we've had the Rediscovery Centre on in Ballymun out there uh, plenty of times on the show. And they do such a fantastic job. And there's a lovely shop out there of recycled and upcycled goods and all that kind of thing. So you're getting these experts. are not like have a goes.
3: Yeah, no, for, okay. th- for this event we will. We also have a professional uh, appliance repair company called Paddy's Appliances to help out on the electrical side of things. Now, we can do this because we um, have a partnership, a strategic partnership with the Environmental Protection Agency. And through their circular economy programme, they want to help bring back mm. this national culture of reuse and repair but other community repair events would go out looking for volunteers in the community. Yeah. And as I said earlier, there really are so many skilled people out there, there only are. willing isn't to, to what, contribute. And listen, this one, like
0: another great organisation, the Men's Shed, isn't that the kind of thing that they started doing? It was, OK, the wider purpose is to bring men together and, and you know, provide them with conversation and company and all of that. But actually, because they do that better over, you know... Nailing things to walls and you yeah. know, slam joy, planing joints that they they bring them together in that in that kind of workshop and it's certainly yeah. very very popular. Yeah. All right, well look, tell us the details, uh, Claire, then of where people can go and what they can do and find out more about
3: it. Yeah, great. So, our event will take place from ten to four on Saturday in the Boiler House in Ballymun, and you can find out more and book online a slot for repair at rediscoverycentre.ie/backslash/events, or you can just turn up. Um, We have a lot of bookings at the moment. You can just turn up and see how it works if you're interested in repair and um, enjoy a cup of coffee and a look around as well.
0: All right. Okay. well, that's fantastic. So, Claire, you said this is a countrywide, worldwide uh, community, but where else in Ireland can people find repair cafes?
3: Yeah, so there are four or five that have been running on and off recently. One of them is the Tog Hacker Space in South Dublin. They've run four this year. There's also a fairly regular repair cafe in Clonmel, um, and there have also been repair cafes in Fibsborough run by Fibsborough Tidy Towns and also Sustainable Scaries and now, of course, at the Rediscovery Centre. But just to say as well, there is a great directory for professional repairers around the country called RepairMyStuff.ie. So in between repair cafes, you can always go and check out where to find your local repair shop.
0: All right. Well, that's RepairMyStuff.ie. Uh, does what it says in the tin, it sounds like. And Claire downey uh, Policy Director at the Rediscovery Centre for the Circular Economy. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thank you very much. Now this time of year can prove especially tricky for many households financially and according to new data from the Central Statistics Office, there has been a sharp increase in the number of people going without essentials in 2022. Three quarters of a million people in the first half of this year alone. Joining me now to discuss what this means is Trisha Keelthy, Policy Advisor with the St. Vincent de Paul. Tricia, you're very welcome to The Home Show. This is... Fairly um, shocking stuff and I know that the SVP have said they're deeply concerned but not surprised by this data.
5: That's right Sinead. Yes, it's very, very shocking in terms of the sharp increase in the number of households going without essentials. So the survey of income and living conditions showed about 875,000 people in Ireland were going without basic items like adequate heating, nutritious food and suitable clothing um, in 2022 um, and that's an increase of 184,000 people compared to 2021. Really, that just reflects the experience of SVP on the ground who've been supporting households through this cost of living crisis uh, right through the year and, and, and last year as well. For example, last week, our local offices took on average uh, 1,200 calls for help every day um, from worried families in the run-up to Christmas. So really, the cost of living pressures are piling up. The Pressure of Christmas that comes every year is also on top of families. So, you know, it's going to be a very difficult winter for many people. Um, And I suppose this data really just underlines groups that really are feeling very much the impact of the cost of living
0: crisis. Yes, and and I know that for everybody um energy and energy costs, gas and electricity and all of that is proving uh, very expensive at the moment, but of course there are people on the margins, maybe not so much on the margins now, who are finding that this is maybe their tipping point. They were kind of maybe coping up to now or or making ends meet and suddenly the cost of energy is is tipping them over the edge and into poverty, would that be fair?
5: Yes, that's right. That's unfortunately the case for many people. People who are maybe just about getting by prior to this cost of living crisis. They get one bill, you know, they were just on the brink. They've no slack left in their budget. And then that sends them into a, a, a spiral of debt and um, financial difficulty. And then there's people who really were struggling all the time. So one-parent families in particular have very, very high rates of deprivation. of lone parents are living in deprivation. That compares to 17% of the general population. So that just shows extra risk for those who are parenting alone and um, trying to make ends meet. We also know that people with disabilities who are unable to work also have a very, very high rate of deprivation, 42%. So those groups are really struggling. They're the groups that are seeking SVP support more often. But at the same time, we also have many people who are in work and struggling. So the data from the CSO showed that 12.4% of people who were unemployed were going without basics. And that was up four percentage points from 2022. How is
0: this measured? Because you mentioned things like uh, nutritious food or suitable clothing. Is there a list of uh, what is considered essential for living or or existing in this country and what kind of things are on that?
5: Yeah, so it's a a list of 11 items um, that are uh, derived by the CSO and they're thought to reflect what kind of the minimum standard is for people um, in terms of deprivation. So they they cover things like being unable to afford uh, protein in a meal every week, um, unable to adequately heat your home, um, having to go without heating due to cost. They also cover things like um, not being able to replace worn-out furniture, not being able to have um, a strong pair of shoes. Very, very basic things that you'd expect. We wouldn't have people going without in a rich country like Ireland, but unfortunately so many people are at the moment and that's likely to get worse if um, there isn't additional state intervention to help people Indeed. with the cost of living. Now, crisis.
0: the state, of course, has been providing supports to all of us, even, even some people who don't need them in the way of, um, you know, this energy credit or doubling social welfare payments at this time of year. Are, are you saying that that's not enough for some families, Patricia?
5: There, there's no doubt that the once-off payments that have been um, paid to people in the last couple of weeks are really helping, they're helping people in the short term. They're helping people to address a bill that maybe has come through the door that they can't afford. Um, but once they're gone, they're gone. And the reality is that the social welfare rate um, that it will be introduced the increase of 12 euro is well below uh, the rate of inflation. So we're really worried about the new year, what will happen to people when they are still grappling with the cost of living crisis, but their income hasn't increased to, to meet that, that cost. And we're worried that people will be pulled further into poverty, and people will be um, experiencing deprivation on a longer term basis.
0: Are you finding that um, the refugee population is uh, a bigger factor in people seeking supports from the likes of Vincent Paul, or or is it more in you know indigenous Irish families?
5: So we, we, we support anybody. The only criteria is for need. We're supporting people in a number of ways, people who've arrived to our country and are seeking sanctuary and support here and also people who are living in Ireland and, and struggling with poverty. So really our support is provided just on the basis of need and we are there to help. Um, you can request help online at svp.ie or contact one of our local regional offices.
0: And what kind of support practically does SVP provide? Is it food boxes? Is it money? Is it uh, bedding?
5: So the way our support works is that... Um, We will receive a request for help. Two of our volunteers will visit someone in their home. They will provide support in a number of ways. They may um, give information and advice in terms of um, social welfare entitlements, in terms of support they can receive from MABS. They may also give direct support with a bill or if someone is struggling with food poverty, they'll help with that in terms of food camp or food vouchers. Um, and they can also help um, at Christmas time for, with parents mm. um, and getting gifts and things for children as well. So really, again, it just depends on the need. And um, we respond in a number of different ways. Um, And as I said, we are here to help as
0: well. Now, I know from work that the ESRI has done over the years, uh, sometimes we tend to think of the one demographic that is most uh, likely to be in need or in poverty are are older people. Uh, But in fact, only about 8%, I say only, of course, anybody living in poverty is a terrible thing, uh, of senior citizens, of pensioners are in that Position, but the shocking statistic is that even now in 2022, 20%, one in five children are now living in enforced deprivation. Patricia, what could we? as a society or the government in particular do to support that? I know initiatives like breakfast clubs are very important. Uh, We now have free books being provided to kids. Uh, What other practical things can we offer families uh, with young children?
5: Yeah, the issue of child poverty is a core area of concern for us. 70% of the calls we receive are from households with children. And the fact that one in five children is now living in enforced deprivation should be a wake-up call for governments to act in relation to this long-standing issue. So what we need in the first instance is a national strategy to tackle child poverty. It's not up to one department to deal with the issue of child poverty. It requires action across all government departments. So what we'd really like to see is ambitious actions in the areas of education. We've seen good progress, as you mentioned there, in terms of the introduction of free school books. We want to see that. Uh, delivered for all children in primary and secondary education. Um, Hot school meals is also a really important initiative that can help children who are living in poverty. Housing, obviously, is a core area. If people don't have a home that is secure and stable, it's very hard for parents to plan for the future and for children to have a stable childhood as well. So we really need to see greater investment in social and affordable housing. At the same time, we need to ensure that income supports are adequate. To support families at the moment, they're below what is required to meet a minimum standard of living, and um, we're moving towards a living wage, which is really welcome. And um, but we need to get there faster as well, so people can have a decent living from work, mm. and also that our social welfare system is adequate. Yeah, to and I basic cha- needs Child childcare
0: well. is one of the key areas as well, because if you have single parent households where they are living in poverty, but mom can't get to her, she can't work, she can't get to a job because of a childcare issue or she's working just to pay the childcare. I mean that's pretty pointless isn't it?
5: Absolutely Um, childcare is fundamental Um, investing in children early not only gives great benefits to children but as you say it also opens up opportunities for parents so that they can go to education that they can go um, and take up good jobs and that's really really important. Mm. Now we have seen significant investment in childcare but there's still a long way to go to meet our other European counterparts who have uh, high quality subsidised childcare. That's what we want for Ireland. That's what children in Ireland need as well.
0: Okay. now how can ordinary people support you uh, this Christmas? Uh, Where can we donate and where can we uh, help out on the work that you are doing?
5: So uh, obviously we we rely on the the generosity of the public and and we're always... um, bowled over by the the generosity of the Irish people every year, and and this year we're we're asking for people to donate um in a number of different ways. You can donate online, um through our website svp.ie, um, and you can also donate locally. Um, if you donate locally, that money is spent in the local area, supporting households in the community that are struggling at poverty at this time. So really, um, uh, we welcome anybody who's able to support at this time. We know it's difficult for many people. So any any um, support that we can get at this time is very much welcome.
0: All right. OK, well, look, Trisha Keilty, of uh, the St Vincent Paul, thank you very much for bringing us up to date there with those latest fairly shocking statistics uh, from the CSO. And thanks for joining us on The Home Show this morning. Thank you. And still to come on The Home Show, well, after the break, we will be moving to sunnier, warmer climes and finding out why some towns around the world are paying you to move there. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan with you until nine o'clock. Uh, and if you are just joining us, well, do listen back. Uh, we spoke to some people involved in the in the gifted craft fair, which is on in the RDS. Uh, and certainly the repair cafes, a very, very interesting concept, which is happening all over the country. And you can find out all about that on our podcast. If you want to listen back to that, it's up on the News Talk app or wherever you get your podcast from. Just search for The Home Show with Sinead Ryan and you will find it there now pictured the scene. A beautiful hilltop town in Puglia in the heel of southern Italy. Postcard worthy. Gorgeous sunshine and all the pasta you can eat. What do you think it would cost to buy a home there? Well it might surprise you to learn that not only may it not cost you anything, but the local government will give you up to 30,000 euro to entice you to move there. So what's the catch? Joining me now to chat through the places that will pay you to move country is travel and tourism journalist Joan Scales. Joan, you're very welcome back in studio. I always feel slightly jealous whenever you come into studio <laughs> because of the beautiful job you have, which I'm, you're going to tell me isn't a bit glamorous and fabulous. but uh, it thank you.
4: Yeah, no, of course it's not as glamorous as, <laughs> as it sounds. I mean, it's always work as well, but I, I am very lucky to, to see a lot of beautiful places. And actually talking about Puglia, I was in Puglia a couple of years ago, been there a couple of times actually. And the one thing that surprised me about Puglia, you know, when you learn your geography in school, and everybody talks about the south of Italy mm. being very barren and people leaving there in droves, and there's a huge emigration from the region, it's actually much greener than I expected, and much, much more beautiful. Oh, yeah. And the towns beautiful. are gorgeous, the beautiful towns all along there, Otranto and um, Santa Maria di Lucche and Lecce, and beautiful towns. And we had a really, really great holidays there. Oh, fantastic. Uh, much, well, much greener, Oh, okay. well, did surprise well, me. Well,
0: tell me then about this uh, town called, now
4: I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, Presidge? I think that's about right. My, my <laughs> Italian wouldn't be much better. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the town, t- to be honest, I looked at it, I looked some videos there in the last few days when, when I heard about the story. Uh, to be honest, it's crumbling. It's very old. It obviously needs a lot of investment and I can understand why they're trying to get people to come there, and it's an interesting mix of how they're doing it because they're offering this money. It's the local council offering this money, and it's a mixture of a contribution towards buying an apartment or a house, and then a contribution towards renovation, because a lot of them have been neglected. Because th- this is an area of obviously that suffered enormously from emigration, mm. um, and and the emigration really is the Italians going further north. Mm. Um, to up, the cities to and the where cities yeah, yeah up up yeah. up to the industrial areas um so it's beautiful it's not far from the coast it's, it's not too far from lecce um we have airports in there as well we have we have flights Barry in to various there for, Barry is down there yeah um yeah. brindisi at oh, yeah. at certain times of the year we have as well so it's, i mean it's easy enough to get to now because of you know these Ryanair flights it does does make a difference but i thought it was interesting that they want you to buy also properties that are older than 1991. So, you're looking to so they are something.
0: projects, as they're
4: euphemistically yes, called. You're not are.
0: going to get an A-rated n- apartment no, over hanging out over the cliff. Absolutely not. You're okay. not
4: walking into something luxurious. Okay. You know, you are walking into something that will need work. You probably pick up something for maybe twenty twenty five thousand 25,000 euros. And you will have this contribution mm. towards it. But it's... Um, it if will we, if we'll be a project. Right. Now, I did see some of them uh, in the paper.
0: Like, now they were fairly derelict yes. kind of cottages out. It kind of like
4: a pile of bricks, really, I suppose, would be the, yeah. the kind architectural think, term for it. But I they were selling
0: them for a pound.
4: Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. And, and basically what you're doing there is you're just buying the site, the plot, really, for that. Yeah. Because there will be a lot of renovation work Needed when you when you buy anything. So like that. who would
0: this suit? Because I mean, this is somebody obviously who knows what they're doing and they have um and they have skills in this area. But I I presume that the deal is you can't just buy it as a holiday home. You're going to use a couple of times a year. Like they no. want you to
4: move there. Yeah. No, it's not about buying a holiday home. And Annie, there's a number of these around the world, and we will touch on some of hmm. the other ones as well because this isn't the only one. Number of countries, including the US, to be honest, what they want is young people. This is not a retirement home, yes. this is not a holiday home. This is you living and working in that settling country, settling down, sending settling your kids down. to the school, in playing fact, sports. Yeah, exactly. In, in fact, okay. one place in town that we'd mention, uh, they'd actually pay you if you have a child. They'd give you three thousand for every child you have while you're living there. Three thousand? Well, I tell you what, yeah. even so, folks,
0: <laughs> think twice. They're going to cost you a lot more than and that in nappies alone. Yeah. So please. some so of the other towns. So Italy is particularly kind of um, has, active in yeah, this regard. There,
4: there's there's a good few provinces in Islea that are doing it you know like uh, Calabria as well Sicily Sardinia you'd think Sardinia wouldn't need people Mm. but they do their population is dwindling Abruzzo now Abruzzo is on the opposite side to Rome so it's on the eastern say the eastern the middle of the eastern leg of of Italy uh, overlooking the east um, around the Milano region you wouldn't have thought that but yes So this is just
0: about trying to get uh, immigration in for people who can do it up live there, stay there, work there and revitalise local industry. Yes.
4: It's okay. all about what you bring to the region. It might be an attraction to get you there, but it's very important that you make your contribution. OK. Now, um, anywhere else around the world, you mentioned the United States there. The United States has a number of states that are suffering from, again, from low population. And the need for skilled workers. So a place like Minnesota, Minnesota will pay your moving expenses. Okay. To move there. And they'll give you free co working spaces as well, because remote working of course is, is mm. And huge you're very remote <laughs> in well, You'll be very remote. And then in an Alaska there's no income tax. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they'll give you sixteen hundred dollars to move to Alaska and no income tax because okay. Alaska is a very wealthy state, even though it's probably one of the least populated. Well, the oil, of the course. The oil, you see, it? and they yeah. divide. What they do is they, the profit from the oil every year, they give the they give to the um, people who live in Alaska. They get a share of it. Yeah. And Mind so you. That's why there's no income tax. Look over well. your back wall and you're into Russia. So, yeah, you know, some, exactly. something to think and, about there. And exactly. The climate isn't exciting <laughs> at just all. Just, not, not like Puglia, that's for sure. And okay. <laughs> well, Vermont as well. Vermont yeah. is lovely. Vermont, funny enough, it's a lovely green place in America it's it's beautifully green and uh, they'll give you $10,000 over two years to move to Vermont and then Kansas has a big programme there's a big city there Topeka and that has got fairly run down in recent years and they've a huge program now to get people to come back and live in Topeka and they're offering fifteen thousand dollars to go right and live okay there. Yeah.
0: okay so yeah. I mean if you didn't mind and, and kinda location mind. wasn't important to you and you were a dot com whatever yeah. like I, I think the pandemic has shown us all that yeah. you know have Wi Fi will travel really.
4: Yeah well the the one thing I am making a note here as well that they have to be Zoom towns. Wherever you go, Yeah. Zoom and other packages like that we know have become vital to for yeah, doing I mean, business. Unless
0: you're really wanting to go off grid
4: you yeah. you, you know, you, you you're not gonna build a business. You know, and, there. And, okay. and these countries who are looking for people to move to them, they really do have to be able to provide that very, very basic need now, which is Wi Fi.
0: Right. Now closer to home, of course, Spain. Um people, Spain, yeah. people now, wouldn't Spain, have thought that there was any, any shortage of both people or tourism in Spain,
4: but Well, to be honest, the tourism of Spain is around the coast, mm. and it's mostly in the south and south uh, southeast and a little bit the southwest. So inside in Spain, there's lots of deserted villages. There's lots of empty places. Um, in Asturias, which is up in northern Spain, which wouldn't be as popular, and it should be because mm. it's gorgeous. I was there. Uh, I was there in June. And it's beautiful. Very green. Very like Ireland. And Galicia. Mm. Both of them, they have um, villages there where they're offering €3,000 to move to their villages. And as I said, in in Ponga, they give you 3000 if you have a child when you're living there. (laughs) Now, you have a commitment there. You know, you have to live there for a minimum of five years. Mm. Um, So, there's all kinds of rules around. Ah, yeah. These aren't just giveaways. Yeah. You know, so anything that's coming up, there will be uh, restrictions or limits or there's fines in some cases if you don't follow through and follow okay, through okay. Um, and then Greece, Greece also have some as well Greece yes there's a I love the island it's be, it's near Crete called Anki Kathera and it's a Greek Orthodox church are offering money they're offering up to $600 uh, a month to um, supplement your income now it's tiny the population at <laughs> the moment is only 68 people <laughs> Okay. Well so you hence can see their problem. That's <laughs> their problem. Yeah. Okay.
0: So that that is food for thought. I must say, Joan, you, you warm up the studio every time <laughs> you come in and you get us thinking about new horizons and different way of living and all that kind of thing. So it is something to think about, but as you said, not for the faint hearted no, and not for the drawbacks. For everybody.
4: All these places that are off the grid and off the normal routes, they don't speak English. Mm. You will be Hard put to find anybody who speaks English. So if you're going to take on a project like this and move... You really got to learn the language. You got to be because open to the to the local customs and you're, everything. You're going to ha- you're going to need it yes. because if you're going to be hiring builders and contractors and renovators, signing contracts, yeah, signing contracts. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, Joan Scales, travel and tourism journalist. Thank you so much for bringing us thank that you, new Jeanette. way of life, and that is all we have time for today. So you can you will finish the show by letting you think about all those beautiful blue skies, and warm sunshine, and how life might look for you over there. And if you've done. That or if you plan to do it, why not let us know 53106 or email us during the week at the home show at newstalk.com. So, as I said, that's all we have time for uh, this week. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about on the show, well, let us know. Uh, we're always interested. Uh, and don't forget to check out the home show podcast, which is up on the news talk website now, straight after the show and wherever you get your podcasts from. Maurice Sullivan was producing this week, Steve Daunt on research, and Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy on sound. Anton Savage Show is up next. Have a fantastic weekend. And remember, we'll be back here on Saturday next at 8 a.m.